The next 10 seconds of our program can only be heard on 1761 meters medium wave. <laughs> At that moment, the goat popped out and the bishop said, so that's where he gets it all. <laughs> Well, I'm glad you enjoyed that one. Uh, I hope you'll excuse me for a moment. Well, I welcome back the listeners who've just rejoined us. Nice to have you with us. Uh, before our next program begins, I would like to demonstrate a few experiments in sound. First, I'm going to blow this whistle. Now, you're probably wondering why you didn't hear anything. Well, that's because it's a special dog whistle. The uh, pitch is so high that a normal human being can't detect anything. <laughs> though this may seem, to a dog it can sound as loud as a ship's foghorn. <laughs> uh, unless, of course, it's a deaf dog. <laughs> then it sounds like butter being scraped off an overdue library. <laughs> now, if you're unable to hear this, then you're stone deaf. <laughs> but if you can listen to this... It's, I'm sorry, I'll read that again, Mother, again. Then you can listen to anything. <laughs> Gee whiz, super duper, whizzo, bang on. <laughs> Come on, everybody, hands on heads. You're about to hear the voices of Tim Rook Taylor, John Cleese, Graham Garden, David Hatch, Joe Kendler, Melody. So, without more ado, and rather a lot of nothing, here's John Otto Cleese. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'll read that again. Reports. Never afraid to tell the truth. Never afraid to bring you the real facts. The I'm sorry team once again reveals all. Oh. <laughs> we bring you a frank and fearless report into the truth behind the real story centered around the rumors about the startling events disclosed in the very midst of our modern society. Yes, these are the incredible facts about... <laughs> the sinister traffic in joke swapping. <laughs> it all begins in April, 19 filthy lie. I'm sorry... <laughs> I'm sorry, I'll read that again. Carries the headline, Society Divorce Scandal. Top fashion model cited. Off peachy head. <laughs> Soon Fleet Street was humming with rumors. <laughs> with rumors. Then, on March the Dirty Word, a sensation in court. Amelia Twinplunder, you are a top fashion model? Yes, I know, darling. <clears throat> what were you doing in the sea, off peachy head? I was posing for a joke. <gasps> Gasp. Yes, for weeks. <laughs> there had been something in the wind, and now it all came out. <laughs> the next sound effect has been censored. 
the whole country was thrown into confusion, there was a public outcry. Oh, publicly. <laughs> Gradually, the whole nation became aware that this practice of joke swapping was going on everywhere, often involving the highest in the land. We sent our highest in the land, ace reporter Stilton Cleese, to investigate. <laughs> this is what he reported. In the teeming near-lit jungle that we call our capital city, I ran across one of those so-called joke swappers. Getting out of my car, I picked him off the street and asked him to tell me about his secret vice. It, it all started at a party. I thought it was just an ordinary night out at first, but then I realised, oh no... This was something different. It was, in fact, a joke-swapping party. It was, in fact, a joke-swapping party. <laughs> As the evening wore on, I sensed that something was up, and I didn't think <laughs> it was the sort of thing an ordinary fellow like me should get involved in. <laughs> so I turned to Blanche, the bloke I was with, and <laughs> I, I said, let's get out of here. But something made you stay on. But something made me stay on. Well, the rest is easy to guess. Since then, joke swapping has become part of my life. I just... Can't seem to live without it. Neither can I. <laughs> but where does this traffic in jokes go on? In pubs, mainly. A pusher will come up to you and say something like, I've got a good one here for you. <laughs> and, of course, you know what he means. But the astounding fact is that joke swapping is carried out in public places in broad daylight, yet nothing has been done to stop it. However, we hear today that at last the police are going to act. To be, or not to be. Routine <laughs> question, hello? But, but will this be enough? How can it be stopped? Who are the shadowy men behind the scenes? Somewhere in London, there is a public house, apparently ordinary, but in fact the centre of this strange twilight world of the joke swapper. I went to this pub disguised as a travelling salesman and started a conversation with an Englishman, an Irishman and a Scotsman standing at the bar. In one corner of the dimly lit room, I saw an actress and a bishop talking together, whilst a rabbi and a Catholic priest with a crocodile stood by the bar. My conversation was interrupted when a coachload of nuns and mother-in-laws arrived with a party of elephants and mice. But I'd seen enough. Those... Those are the facts. Those are the names. One question remains. Where will it all end? Right here. Mr. Jenkins, about the loan, sir. Ah, oh, come in, Mr. Jenkins. Sit down. Make yourself comfortable. Now, I'll come straight to the point. No. No? <laughs> no, no. Under no circumstances, I just cannot see my way to lending you and your friends seven and a half million pounds. Uh, seven and a quarter, actually. Well, even that doesn't tip the balance, I'm oh. afraid. It's, it's quite unfeasible, the whole idea. What on earth would a small village with a population of 300 retired people want with an all-weather plastic dome-covered sports arena housing a hundred-lane bowling alley, an all-night go-kart track, and the world's largest 24-hour gambling casino with an international all-star stripper armor every 20 minutes? Yeah, well, we we thought one or two of the lads from Bulma might come up. Yes, yes, I, I saw that reference in your full architectural plans for the scheme, but sadly I seem to have thrown the cigarette packet away. In fact, if memory serves, the one or two lads from Bulma cropped up not once but seven times. Yeah, well, but you see, in the winter we thought... Yes, yes, I saw that reference too, but even if you can guarantee 
that Fred Sumner's parents will come down for Christmas <laughs> and swell the numbers. I do not consider your security for the loan to be up to normal banking requirements. Seven and a quarter million pounds is a lot of money, Mr. Jenkins, a great deal of money. What about the jewellery? Well, I have had the jewellery valued and identified by the Handy Snap Christmas Cracker Company, <laughs> and their fee exceeded the value of the jewellery. <laughs> also, you are unemployed. No, the whole, whole idea is unthinkable. Oh, well, me and the boys thought, you know, like we might give you a working over, so... I beg your pardon? We, well, we, that is me and the boys, thought we might, you know, cut you up a bit and work the bank over, you know. Yes, I see. Well, I must say that certainly does put a very different complexion <laughs> on the whole thing. In fact, although there are one or two small drawbacks, which I outlined a moment ago, what I was about to say before you made your very excellent and, if I may say so, very well thought out point was to ask if I myself could become one of the first shareholders in the company. I believe I've got a five-pound note on me, actually. Now, where, where is it? Ah, uh, oh, I see you have it already. Jolly good. Uh, Miss Thompson, uh, Mr. Jenkins is just starting a little venture, and I wondered if you'd like to ask a constable if the police would like to subscribe. Quickly. Not a moment to be wasted, eh, Mr. Jenkins? Oh, what a really beautiful revolver, Mr. Jenkins. I do stand. Look at this splendid revolver, Miss Thompson. And now then, Mr. Jenkins, seven and a quarter million pounds. Uh, you'll take a cheque. I'll put my name and address on the back. Yeah, well, I'd rather have cash. Cash it is. A wise man indeed. Well, let's call it eight million. Uh, here we are then. One crisp new eight million pound note. <laughs> uh, have you seen an eight million pound note before? Yeah, well, no. Good. Now, you can cash this. <laughs> cash this in on Monday morning at any good police station. <laughs> And now, by popular request and consistent bribery, John Cleves. Good evening, poor people. <laughs> now, there's a slanderous rumour going about that I'm sadistic, cruel and vicious. Though not necessarily in that order. Well, I'm not. I am not. I'm lovely and warm and cuddly. <laughs> now, today I'm going to tell you how to make a sweetie pie. But first, here are the ingredients for a knickerbocker glory. Take them down. Three eggs, a jar of cream, the whites of ten eyes, a tin of beef, a pinch of caster sugar, and half a pound of butter. Now, here is what you do. Put the eyes down for a full house. Beat the eggs, whip the cream, and strangle the butter. Now, bully the beef. Next, lose the cream, cast the sugar away. Pour the mixture into a lightly greased horse trough. Bake in a warm oven for ten minutes. Then get out of the oven and put the mixture in. Paste, grind, grate, squeeze it, beat it firmly, knead it, tread on it, kick it, pull its teeth out, smash its face in, tear it in. again for Roger's Keep Fit class. Right, here we all are. Nice bunch of lovely looking men. We'll soon build you lot up big and strong, eh? Here we go. Watch me, then you do it and shing it out to the music. Right. One, two, three. Now feet apart, feet together. Left foot and up. Bend two, three. Stretch two, three. Right foot and stop. Now on your backs, legs up high. Show us your knees. Right. Shall we all do it, lads? Oh, yes, please. <laughs> I'm tougher than you. 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 Tougher than you.
Can you finish it when you're good? Oh, yeah. yeah. Good. Now, here we go. Jonathan on weights. That should soon get you thin. I'm not fat. And Timothy, you can't be too pleased with that chin. Making cat. Let's tune up those muscles. Uh, John, look to the front. I'll soon make you a man. Oh, just what I want. <laughs> <laughs> You got a double chin. Ah, oh, all ah, right, ah, fatty. Ah, ah. Right, now, after exercise, you're going to have a sauna bath. Oh, sauna the end of me, ducky. First, you all go through the steam room. Oh, steam. And then you'll all be massaged. Oh. I've got the massage. And then, then you're beaten with branches. Oh, make my brambles. And finally, a cold shower. And last one in the sissy. So what else is new? So set out your dumbbells, show us your tough. We keep going even though we may get short of puff. That'll be the day. Everyone leave me, let's see you prance. One, two, three, one, two, three. Here, can I have this down? Certainly. I'm one down and one whoops and two. I'm tougher than you. Yeah. Can you tickle your toes? Yes, can you? Mm, if you'll let me. I will. Turn the clock back. This story began many thousands of years ago. No, no, no. This is a story of primitive folk who live the ways of nature. Fair enough, fair enough. But actually, our tale concerns the very awakening of civilization. Many millions of years ago, the Earth was this fiery ball, the outer casing hardened to form the Earth's crust. Ah! That's what I like, a good, crusty Earth. We can learn quite a lot from old fossils. Quite right, thank you. Well, here we have the good old crusty Earth, firm and crisp and jolly healthy, none of your pre-slice nonsense. And then came life. The first little creatures appeared even before the Earth had cooled down. <laughs> And man began to evolve by means of an elaborate cycle. First came the Miocene Age, then the Pliocene Age, then the Plasticine Age. It was now the Neolithic Age. Man was rapidly expanding. Oh, I must go on a diet. He was acquiring the ways of civilization, and we shall see how he is learning to use his hands. <laughs> and now he fights... How he fights to control his beastly tendencies. I mustn't be beastly. I mustn't be beastly. Yes. This is the story of men learning to live with men. I mustn't be beastly. 10,000 BC. most primitive and savage part of England, Liverpool, <laughs> lived two tribes. One a tribe of men who lived in the rocks and were called the Rockers, and a woman's tribe who lived in the scrub and were called the Scrubbers. <laughs> Leave it to you and we get cracks like that. The strange thing was that the male tribe... 
never met the ladies' tribe. Oh, dear, how terrible. <laughs> Not really. They didn't know what they were missing. I bet they didn't know I'd miss it, though. <laughs> anyway, we begin at the rockers' camp. Two of them are sitting peacefully in their cave. Garnet is making a fire, whilst Willem is dressing a hyena. Yeah, these socks don't fit. Hey, Garnet, why, 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 why are you rubbing those two sticks together? I broke my lighter, ain't I? Oh. Well, you know, Shami, I've been thinking. What? Yeah, well, I've been thinking, how did we get here? How eh? did we get here? Hmm. Well, how do you think? Well, I thought perhaps, you know, before, a long time ago, there was probably a great power, you know, something really overwhelmingly huge. Like a whacking great mammoth. And in his infinite wisdom, the mighty and holy mammoth chopped off a couple of spare ribs. Spare ribs? Yeah, and you know what he started? Chinese restaurant. No. He started mankind, you see, and there were two of them. One was tall and hairy and rugged, and the other was small and smooth and pretty. And they lived together in a little cave in a big garden. You know where that started? Nasty rumours. No, no. They started a human race. Ah, who won? Shut up. And then the great and glorious mammoth spake. Said, look here, I have made you Adam, and I have made you Eve. Eve, you certainly have. <laughs> At that moment, someone approached outside. Sorry, we come to do the cave painting. Painting the cave? Yeah, any preferences? Well, not bison again. How about little flowers? Little flowers, then. Or we could do your ducks in flying flight. Yeah, that's nice. Nice, that. Or your farming motif. Farming motif. What's that? That's a group of tribesmen set off against a bunch of shallots. <laughs> we call that tribe and onions. Tribe and onions. Joke, joke, wasn't it? cavemen passed their day, each with their jobs to do. Some spent their time sticking gorilla heads on human skeletons and burying them to confuse archaeologists. <laughs> Some, of them... Some of them did arable farming and some shocking gardening. <laughs> they toiled merrily. Toil, toil, merrily. I'm planting bulbs. Light work, eh? That's right. <laughs> The men too old for hard work spent the afternoon sewing trousers. They'll never grow. <laughs> Whilst the young, tough men... Oh, that's, that's us, that's, that's us, muscle. muscle. <laughs> yes, yes. Prepared themselves for the hunt. <laughs> Garnet and Willem divided them into squads. Right now then, my squad. First, I'm going to ask you your names one by one. And when I say number, I want you to call them out down the line, OK? Right. Right, right. your name? Dewinda. And yours? Lamba. And you? Swat. All right, from the left, number? Dewinda. Lamba. Swat. Hi! <laughs> You lot over here. You. Under. And you. Neither. And you. Archers. Right. <laughs> From the left, number. The hills are alive. Fair enough. Right, off to the hunt. So off they went on the desperate search for food. The hunters stopped and set a trap. They stood stock still until they grew tired of their oppressive weight. Oh, I must go on a diet. <laughs> so they sat down on the rocks where they couldn't be seen. Willem went behind a bush. Every minute. <laughs> quiet, quiet. Look, here come the animals. Let's get at them. No, wait. I'm sure. Danger's lurking. <laughs> I was right. <laughs> What's that over there? My goodness, it's the lair of the saber-toothed sheep, our most deadly enemy. Oh, oh no. no. Oh, sure no. enough, even as they cowered, a wild and savage sound rent the air. But too late, the dreadful beasts stood across the path and barred their escape. Their escape! <laughs> its wool bristled and its jaws 
nibbled ferociously. It's going to charge us. Five pounds and I'll let you go. <laughs> we ain't got it. Then I shall eat you. Oh. He charged. Oh. The hunters were doomed when suddenly the sheep seemed distracted by a movement on the horizon. Good Lord! What on earth's that coming this way? That hideous fat creature with great glaring eyes and a terrible roar! Quite unknown to them, this was the great queen of the Scrubbers tribe. <laughs> had never met. Yes, this was the first time they'd set eyes on a woman. What rotten luck. <laughs> With eyes ablaze, she turned on the dreaded sheep. Shoo, shoo. <laughs> Sorry about that, ladies. Ladies, ladies? What do you mean, ladies? N.B. Since the ladies and men had never met before, Queen Constance thinks that all the men are ladies. Mm-hmm. And conversely, all the men think that she is a man. Ah, what Can do? you spot the odd man out? Oh, <laughs> Coming back to my camp to meet the rest of my ladies. Are they all like you? They know. They will come. Good. It's getting late, but my girls aren't far away. You should be able to make them before nightfall. <laughs> of course. Of course, she didn't realise what she'd said. Oh yes, I did. <laughs> They approached the scrubbers' camp where 100 beautiful girls were busy at their chores. The girls ran naked for fully half a mile to greet the hunters, and the two groups stood and stared at each other. Say hello to the strangers. Hello, strangers. Funny blokes. I think we should introduce ourselves. This is our queen. Yes, we've met. Known to us as Auntie Climax. That's because I'm not. I should hope not. In fact, in fact, compared with most of us, she's a bit cold. Ah, should call her anti-freeze. Yes. We're very hot-blooded people. We love fishing and hunting and outdoor games. It brings us so close to nature. I'm sure you can imagine how we feel. Yeah. (laughs) Will you join us tonight? We'll celebrate the hunt with a dance and mighty feasting. We'll relive the joys of the chase. Yes, Yes, yes. So they built a campfire. Mmm, crackle, crackle. Mm. <laughs> Through the night they ate, drank, and danced together. Familiar words were spoken as the wine took effect. I think I'm going to be sick. <laughs> but as the moon heaved itself high in the sky, <laughs> and the nightingales sang sweetly, sweetly, romance filled the air, and the dancers even began to break away in couples. Oh, you are so beautiful. <laughs> Thank you, you're lovely too. <laughs> eventually, eventually they sorted themselves out, and they were on the brink of new discovery. Oh, I see, you don't mean they were going to... Uh, Impossible. Uh, oh. <laughs> when their bliss was shattered, as Auntie Climax came galloping into camp, Willem turned and saw her alight. Oh, I'm on fire! Willem and Auntie Climax fled together. He grabbed his fur boots and hair shirt. And they leapt into a canoe and paddled away on a river of lava. The rest were petrified by molten lava. Lost. Lost. Everyone. The whole civilization wiped out. Young lives cut off in their prime. It was terrible. Oh, terrible. Oh, 
that case, everyone was killed. <laughs> oh, yeah, anyway, when the earthquake was over, there in their canoe were the only survivors, Willem and Auntie Climax, locked in each other's arms. One man and a woman left to carry on. And we didn't all carry on. Oh. Hey, hey, hey. You have been listening to Sing Something Slightly More Complicated. <laughs> which featured Time to Go Home, Brooke Taylor, John Cleese, Release Me, Let Me Go, Graham Garden is a lovesome thing, God what? <laughs> David Hatch, a falling star, Joe Kendall, anything better than you can, and Bill Mary as the gal I love. Full responsibility for the script should be taken by Tim Brooke Taylor, Graham Garden, Alan Hutchison, Bill Oddie, and David Tate, who were last seen jumping into the Thames. <laughs> Bill Oddie invented the songs. The music was by Dave Lee, who has just been rescued from the Thames by Leon Cohen, who handles all his arrangements. <laughs> David Hatch and Peter Titheridge were the conductors of this program. They're now appearing on the 52 bus. <laughs> and to sign off, here is the singing lawyer from Western Supermare, John Marwood Cleese. Oh, no, it's time to go. Oh, 